had a great time. You have been great to teach. Appreciate your responsiveness to the Word of the Lord and your love for truth. Stand together and go to the book of Second Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. Verse number 8 from the 8th chapter of Second Corinthians. Second <coughs> Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. And to prove the sincerity of your love. <clears throat> and I want to talk to you this morning, our session today, about proven sincerity. Proven sincerity. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us once again. God of heaven, we look to you right now, asking for your help, the direction of the Spirit, the unction of the Holy Ghost. We need you today, Father. We know that we're nothing without you. How shall we can do nothing? But if you will help us this morning, we believe, God, that a work of the Holy Ghost can take place in the next few moments. In the name of the Lord, we're careful to give you the praise for it. We worship and adore you. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices up. Worship the Lord together. Praise God. God, I love you. I praise you. I love you and adore you, Jesus. You're the great I am. You're the King of glory. <coughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. There should be no question in our minds as to whether or not that God loves us. I have heard people and people have come to me and have asked questions such as, if God really does love me, then why does He allow certain things to happen in my life? I've heard people ask the question, if God loves us, then why is there so much wickedness in the world? If God loves us, then why do people in other countries starve to death? And why is there so much pain? And why is there, uh, are there wars? And uh, why is there suffering in life? We must understand that God is not the reason. He is not the cause for the pain and the suffering that there is in life. That sin and the wickedness of man is the reason for suffering, for death, and for pain. God doesn't have to do anything other than what He has already done to prove His love for humanity. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but that they should have everlasting life. We love God today because that God first loved us. God proved His love for humanity when He went to Calvary for us. He proved His love for us when He bore nails in His hands that He didn't have to bear. He proved love, His love for us when He allowed them to take His life. He said, No man taketh my life from me, but I lay my life down. I give my life. Jesus gave His life for us at Calvary. Nobody took it from Him. And He did it willingly. He did it because He wanted to do it. He died simply because that He loved us. Jesus Christ proved His love for us when He gave His life for us at Calvary. And there should be within the hearts of every child of God 
a true and a sincere love for God. Not a love that is, that is frivolous. Not a love that is hypocritical. The Bible tells us that we should love without hypocrisy. That there should be a, that there should be a sincere love in our hearts for God. In the book of Ephesians, at the very end of that epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in verse number 24 of the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That word sincere means the personal quality of living life from a pure motive without deceit. It's associated with words such as truth, such as genuineness, godliness, and it's contrasted with words like hypocrisy, deceit, and wickedness. I don't believe that there's any of you that are sitting here in this congregation this morning that wants to be a hypocrite. I don't know of anybody that really wants to be a hypocrite. I don't know of anybody that really wants to live a life of deceit. But the young men that I'm associated with, even in this class and in this youth camp, are men that want to be real. They want to be genuine. They want to be sincere. Amen. I don't want to be a hypocrite. How about you? I don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I do not want to be deceitful. I don't want to put on a mask, but I want to be genuine in my service to God and in my love for God. And there are things that are going to happen in your life that are going to try your sincerity. Situations are going to arise in your life that are going to prove whether you really do love God or not. Whether you are in this for real or whether it's just a game with you. We must not be just playing games with God. And there is going to come a trying time, a testing time, a proving time in your life that will prove whether you are really sincere about loving God or not. Throughout the Word of God, we find that there were men that were tried when it came to their sincerity. There were women that were tried when it came to their sincerity about living for God or not. I would take you back to the book of Ruth, and you will find there in that beautiful love story of the book of Ruth, where that Ruth, when it came time for her mother-in-law to leave and to go back to her own country, that Ruth had fallen so much in love, not only with Ruth, but with Ruth's God, that when, when uh, Naomi said, Ruth, you stay here, I'm going back to my country and to my people, and you need to stay here, that Ruth said to her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. 
Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And the Bible says that when Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Naomi could see that there was this sincerity about this love that Ruth had. When Ruth made the commitment to the extent that she said, wherever you go, I'm going. And where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. And your people are going to be my people. And your God is going to be my God. And where you die, I'm going to die. And nothing but death is going to part me and thee. I'm telling you, that is sincere love. And that's the kind of love that we need to have for God. God, there's nothing that's going to separate me from you. Nothing is going to part me from you. I love you more than the world. I love you more than anything else. I love you more than a job. I love you more than family. I love you more than mom and dad. I love you more than brother or sister. Did not Jesus say, except you love me more than houses and lands, and except you love me more than moms and dads, and except you love me more than brother and sister, and except you love me more than son or daughter, you are not worthy to be my disciple. Amen. There has got to be a love in our hearts that supersedes our love for anything or anybody else in the world. In the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 15 through verse number 18, we find three young men that were tried in their sincerity about living for God. And when it came to testing time in their lives, they proved out true unto the Lord. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15, the, the king said, Now if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy God nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. King, you can cast us into a fiery furnace if you want to. It doesn't matter what you do to us. Our minds are made up that we're not going to bow down and worship your God. We're going to stay true unto the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. We are sincere about living for God. And we're not going to bow down and worship any other God. Amen. The testing time came 
in the life of Daniel. Daniel was a man of prayer that went unto God three times a day and made his petitions known unto the Lord. You know how the decree was made by the king. Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 6. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. The decree was that far, that far a month that any man that offered a petition to any god or man save unto the king should be cast into a den of lions. But we read that after that Darius had signed the writing and the decree, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Daniel said, you can make all the decrees you want to make. You can write all the laws you want to write. But there's one law that's higher than any other. And that is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy might and with all of thy strength. Amen. In the book of Genesis, chapter 39, and verses 7 through 9, here we read the story of a young man by the name of Joseph in a strange land. Nobody around that knew him. Nobody that knew his background. Nobody that knew his upbringing. But in in Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 7, the Bible says that it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No! He said, how can I do this great wickedness when I'm living for such a great God and I'm serving such a wonderful God who's done so much for me? How could I ever sin against Him? I love Him too much. I love Him too much. I am too devoted unto Him. He's done too much for me. He's been too good to me for me to do this great wickedness and sin against God. Amen. I'm telling you, Joseph proved the sincerity of his love for God when he resisted the temptation to lie with Potiphar's wife, to commit fornication with her. He proved the sincerity of his love. In the book of Genesis chapter 22, we find the story of the great man Abraham when God spoke unto him and said, Abraham, I want you to take now thy son, 
thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. I'm telling you, God was testing Abraham. You read the first verse of that 22nd chapter, and it says that God did tempt Abraham. That means that God was testing him. God was trying him. God was proving him. God was saying, Abraham, I want to find out if you really do love me the way you say you do. I want to find out and I want to know, Abraham, if you love me more than you love that only boy, that boy that you really do love. I want to know, do you love me more than you love him? And the Bible tells us in verse number 10, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know, now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Let me ask you this morning, men, is there anything in your life that God would ask you to surrender to him? Is there anything in your life that God would ask you to give up, whether it be a sin or not, that you would be unwilling to surrender unto the Lord? If so, then you need a fresh baptism of the love of God in your heart. Because there must be nothing, I said there must be nothing that stands between you and your God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou, whom thou lovest. And Abraham went and got his boy, and he got the sacrifice. He got the wood together and the fire and began to make his way to the mountain. There was no hesitation, no question in his heart. Oh, I love God. I love Him. I really do love Him. I'm not just playing a game with God. I'm not just going through the motions with God. God, I want you to know that I really do love you. I really do love you. Amen. In the book of Second Samuel, chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. I'm not even going to read those verses of Scripture. Let me just tell you the story. There in Second Samuel, the 23rd chapter, you'll find where the David, David was in a cave with his mighty men. And David in that cave, just uh, uh, as uh, an expression of thought, uh, really speaking to no one in particular, he simply made a statement, uh, Oh, that one would give me the drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem. And there were some men that were standing close enough by that they heard what David said. He didn't give them a command, go to Bethlehem and get me a drink of water out of that well there. No, it was simply an expression of his heart spoken to no one in particular. But there were men that were standing close enough by that they heard what was said and they got their heads together and they said, what are we going to do about 
about it. And they agreed that we will go this very night and we will fight our way through the garrison of the Philistines and we will get our king what he wants. We're going to do it not because that we have to, not because that it is a command, not because that it is imperative for us, not because that it is mandated to us. No, but we're just going to do it because we love this man so much. We love him. He's done so much for us. When he found us, we were in debt. When he found us, we were discontented. When he found us, we were in distress. And he has done something for us that nobody else has ever done. Hear me this morning, young men. I'm telling you that we're living for a God. That when he found us, we were nothing. We were the scum of the earth. We were the dust of the ground. We were in debt. We were in distress. Oh, God. Oh, God. But he took... He took this, he took this lump of clay. When I came to him, all I had to offer him was brokenness and confusion. But he made something beautiful out of my life. Those three mighty men fought their way through the garrison of the Philistines. Not because that it was something that was required of them, but they did it simply because that they loved David. They loved David just because that they loved him. Listen to me, young men. God doesn't want robots living for him. He doesn't want you serving him because of a pastor that's making you do it. He don't want you living for him because of parents that are forcing you to. He wants you to fall in love with him. He wants you to fall in love with him and live for him just because you love him. Hallelujah. I want to tell you something, young man. Amen. I want to tell you something. The reason that we live the way we live is not because we have to. Do you hear me? I said it's not because we have to. The reason that we have the dress standards that we have, it's not because that we have to. Amen. I want to tell you, you listen to me. I'll tell you the reason I wear my sleeves below my elbows. It's not because that there's a rule on the town ground that says you got to do it. I'll tell you why I do it. I do it because I love Jesus. I said I do it because I love Jesus. Amen. I'll tell you why that I get a good clean haircut. It's not because that I couldn't let my hair grow long. I could let my hair grow if I wanted to. But I love Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll tell you why I don't watch television. I don't watch television. Not because uh, that it's uh, not because that it's uh, a rule in somebody's book somewhere. I'll tell you why I don't watch the television. I'll tell you why I don't have a video. It's because I love Jesus. Hallelujah. I love him. 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 I'm simply trying to recompense. I'm simply trying to repay 
I'm simply trying to respond, if you please, to the great love that he has shown me. I love him because he first loved me. How could I do anything other than serve him? How could I do anything other than live for him? Listen to me. How could anybody be so ungrateful as to live a life of sin and live a life of hypocrisy when God has loved them so much, when he suffered so much pain on the cross, when he bore such agony and shame and reproach on Calvary? How could I be a hypocrite? How could I come to church and lift up my hands and say, I love you, God, and then walk out of the sanctuary and go out and do something that I know does not please him, that I know is against his will. God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to love you in sincerity, God. I want to love you in sincerity. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus' name, you can be seated. In Luke, the seventh chapter, in Luke chapter 7, the Bible says that there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom be forgiven most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Simon! You gave me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon, my head with oil, thou didst not anoint. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Listen, I want to tell you, that the, that the difference between Simon and this woman was not sin. They were both sinners. They were both sinners. They were both sinners. The difference was not the depth of sin that they had committed. The difference was in their attitude towards Jesus Christ and the sins that He had forgiven in their life. Hear me this morning, young men, especially you young men that have been raised in the church and you, you've never, you've never indulged in drugs and alcohol. You don't know what it's like to live out there in a world of sin and iniquity. I want to tell you that you've got just as much to love him for as the person, as the young man that's been delivered from alcohol and that's been delivered from drugs. It's all in your attitude. You don't need to think that just because that you've been raised in the church that you really don't need to be forgiven of much. You need to realize that you were a sinner just like the worst sinner of a dead row that would come into the church of a living God. You've got as much to praise Him for and to love Him for as the worst sinner in 
attitude was, I'm a pretty good fella. And there's not a whole lot that I need forgiveness of. And because of that, Simon was not very fervent in his worship and in his love for Jesus Christ. Whereas this little woman that had lived such a life of ill repute came in and recognized who she was and what she was. And she knelt at the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her tears. And she dried his feet with her hair. And she anointed his feet with ointment. I want you to know and notice that there was an expression of her love for Jesus Christ. You don't love God if you come to the house of God and you just sit there and there's no emotion and there's no expression and there's no feeling and there's no manifestation. I'm telling you, Jesus said, I'm, Jesus said, this woman loves me. Simon, you want to know how I know she loves me? Look at her. Look at what she's doing, Simon. She's proving her sincerity. All I've ever known, an apostolic church, born to a one God, Jesus' name, apostolic home, raised in the church all of my life. You hear me? This is all I've ever known. But I want to tell you something. I have made up in my mind and in my heart, nobody is going to love him more than I do. Nobody is going to outlove Jesus when it comes to me and them. Nobody is going to worship him more than I do. Nobody is going to love him more than I do. Nobody it's going to live for Him with any more intensity and fervency and sincerity than what I do. Hallelujah. I was talking to a preacher just recently. I don't even remember who it was or exactly when it was. But it's a shame. I, 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 it, it comes to me, brother. It was Brother Paul Elder I was talking to just the other day. And it's a shame that the young people that are raised in apostolic churches have to be lukewarm and indifferent and a bunch of hypocrites that live like the devil through the week and then come to church and want to play the drums or the guitar or sing in the choir. Come on. It don't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I'm telling you that you need to fall in love with Jesus. I said you need to fall in love with Jesus. Don't you go out fornicating on Friday night and then come to church on Sunday morning and lift your hands and say, I love you, God. You're nothing but a hypocrite. Why don't you fall in love with Jesus and become sincere about living for God? Hallelujah. 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 My God. My God. My God. My God. See, as long as you're living for God out of any other motive or any other reason other than love, living for Him will always be a burden to you. It'll always seem like a sacrifice to you. But when you fall in love with Jesus, when you fall in love with Jesus, see, goes back to what I told you the first thing Tuesday morning. I'm drinking all the beer I want to drink. I'm smoking all the cigarettes I want to smoke. I'm watching all the television I want to watch. 
I'm committing all the sin that I want to commit. Amen. And when you fall in love with Jesus, that will be the same attitude that you have. Because the Bible says, let, the Bible says, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? I don't smoke cigarettes because I don't have any desire to smoke cigarettes. I don't drink any beer because I don't have any desire to drink any beer. I don't want to do any of that. You know why I'm living the way I live? Because this is the way I want to live. God has put it in my heart. I'm in love with Jesus. I love Him more than anything else. I love Him more than anybody else. There is nothing that I will allow to come into my heart. I am not living for God simply out of duty. I am not living for God just because that I feel it's my responsibility. But I'm living for Him because I want to. I'm living for Him because I have chosen to. In the book of Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, you can read the story of how that a Hebrew servant that has been sold into slavery, that after a period of time, there comes a year of liberation. On that seventh year, it says that thou shalt furnish him liberally out of your flocks and out of your floor, out of your wine press. Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, that the Lord thy God redeemed thee. And it shall be if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear under the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. You see, this law simply said that after this, after this period of time that this servant has lived for you, then you've got to give that servant his liberty and let him go if he chooses to go. So the servant comes before the master, and the master says, Here is your liberty. You're, you can go, and I'll give you whatever you need to begin a new life. I'll give you provisions to start over. I'll give you whatever you need to start out in life afresh and anew. You can go. It's like the prodigal son that gave you his father and said, Give me what belongs to me, that I may go. And the prodigal son took it, and he went. He said, I want my liberty. I want my freedom. And he left the father's house. Here comes the servant that has fallen in love with his master. And he says, I don't want to go anywhere. I love you, and I love this house. I don't want to go. I choose to stay here. I choose to live for you. How long halt you between two opinions, men? Come on, why don't you make up your mind? If God be God, then serve Him and love Him in sincerity and in truth. Get all of the hypocrisy out. There at the end of that letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, in that last verse of that sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, he said, Grace be unto all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That word sincerity there means without wax. It comes from a Greek word that was used in Bible days by sculptors that prepared beautiful bust, set them on their shelves to sell to the public. And they would hang a sign out over the shop, in front of the shop, that said, In sincerity. And it simply meant without wax. The reason that they did that was because there were unscrupulous men 
that would take busts that were marred and had cracks and deformities in them. And they would cover up the deformities with wax and then paint over them and set them out on the shelf as though that they were genuine and without blemish. There was a way that those men that were honest and truthful could prove that the busts in their shops were really without wax. They would take those busts and set them in the window. And if there was any wax in the bust, and the hot sun came shining through the window, the wax smelt, and the depravity would be revealed. See, it's during the time of trouble, and pressure, and testing. It's going to be proven whether you're really sincere about loving Jesus. God, I don't want any wax. I don't want anything hidden in my life. All things are revealed before you. You have an all-seeing eye. You know my life inside out even better than I do. You know my heart. God, I want to be real. I want to be real. I wonder if you'd stand and pray that prayer with me right now. Do you want to be genuine? Do you want to be real, men? Real, genuine, sincere? God, I don't want any hypocrisy in me. God, I don't want any hypocrisy in me. God, I don't want any hypocrisy in me. God, I want to be genuine. I want to be real, God, from the inside out. God, I want to be real. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you love Him, could you just raise your hands and tell Him right now, I love you, Jesus. I really do love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you more than worldly wealth. I love you more than life itself, oh God. I love you. 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 I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I live for you, God, just because I love you. I'm here today, Lord, just because I love you. God, I'm living the way I live because I love you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first. 
it again. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. children of God to possess and to exhibit in their lives. Attitudes are very extremely important for us as children of God. Attitudes that are right and that are correct must be developed. They must be cultivated. A right attitude is not something that just happens. It's something that you have to work at. You have to develop a right attitude. You have to cultivate a right attitude. When we talk about attitudes, in reality, we're talking about spirits because a right attitude and a right spirit are synonymous. They're the same thing. You can't have a bad attitude without having a bad spirit. You can't have a right attitude without having a good spirit and a good uh, or, a, or a right spirit. And our spirit and our attitudes are something that we must cultivate. As soon as you allow uh, yourself to just be unrestrained and your attitudes to be unrestricted. You don't keep any control on your spirit or on your attitude. That's when that the weeds and the thistles and the bad spirits and the bad attitudes will begin to crop up in your life. If you don't go through the garden of your spirit or the garden of your attitudes and keep the weeds hold out, 
then the weeds will overtake your garden. They will grow wild in your life without any cultivation, without uh, sowing any good seed there. The bad attitudes will just automatically spring up. You don't have to sow seeds that, uh, uh, for weeds to grow out in the yard. They just automatically grow there. But if you want good grass to grow, you have to sow it and you have to cultivate it. And the same is true with good spirits and good attitudes. You have to cultivate a good spirit. You have to cultivate a good attitude. Everybody say amen. <laughs> I know that this is a teaching session, but uh, I don't believe that teaching sessions ought to be dead and dry and dull and boring. I want some help and some response from you this morning. Praise God. Let's all clap our hands to the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. As apostolics, I don't believe that we ought to be ashamed. I believe that an apostolic will have an attitude of, I'm not ashamed to be a child of God. I'm not ashamed that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed that I'm Jesus' name. I'm not ashamed that I believe in one God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I want to tell you this morning, I'd be ashamed of a religion. I would be ashamed of a gospel. I would be ashamed of a doctrine that didn't have enough power in it to deliver me from alcohol, that didn't have enough power in it to deliver me from nicotine, that didn't have enough power in it to deliver me from drugs. I'm telling you that this gospel that we are a part of this morning has got some power to it. It's got power to bring you out of sin, to deliver you from the chains of darkness, to bring you out of bondage, to set you free. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I want to tell you, listen, I drink all the beer I want to drink. I smoke all the cigarettes I want to smoke. I watch all the television I want to watch. That's right. Amen. I drink all the whiskey that I want to drink. And that's absolutely zero. That's absolutely none. You know why I don't drink beer? I don't want to drink beer. You know why I don't drink out any alcoholic? I don't want none of that junk. You know why I don't smoke cigarettes? I don't want to smoke no cigarettes. You know why I don't watch television? I don't want to watch television. I'm doing what I want to do. I've been delivered. I've been set free. I'm a child of God and I'm not ashamed of it. Amen. Amen. If you're a true apostolic, you're not going to be ashamed of what you are. Don't be ashamed of this one God message. Don't be ashamed of this Jesus name message. Amen. I tell you what I'd be ashamed of. I'd be ashamed if I believed in three. I'd be ashamed if I was a Trinitarian. I'd be ashamed if I believed that God was three separate distinct persons. I'd be ashamed to believe in a God that was supposedly the first person in the Trinity and he sent his son, which was the second person in the Trinity, to die for the sins of the world. That I'm not ashamed to know that my God loved me enough that he robed himself in flesh and he provided himself a lamb for a sacrifice and came and gave his life for, as a ransom for my soul to redeem me from my sins. 
Praise God. Amen. Amen. Holiness is an attitude. Holiness is an apostolic attitude. Amen. I don't believe that we ought to be ashamed of the standards of dress that we, that we have. I don't believe that we ought to be ashamed that we attend churches. Amen. That preach against television. I don't believe that we ought to be ashamed of the holiness stand that we take as children of God. Praise God. Amen. True apostolics. When the man of God stands behind the pulpit, when the pastor stands on a Wednesday night and teaches a Bible study on holiness, true apostolics aren't going to say, oh, no, not another holiness message. True apostolics are going to be on their feet saying, come on, preacher, preach it. I love it. Hallelujah. I thank God for the standards that we have in the apostolic church. Amen. 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 And ap holiness is an apostolic attitude. I said holiness is an apostolic attitude. Holiness is an apostolic attitude. Worldliness is the opposite of that. And if you want to be a true apostolic, you're not going to have a worldly spirit and a worldly attitude. You're not going to desire the things of this world. Want to do what everybody else do, does. You're not going to have the spirit or the attitude of conformity. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. At the same time that holiness is an apostolic attitude, may I also tell you that humility is an apostolic attitude. No, we're not ashamed of who we are, and we are not ashamed of what we stand for. But at the same time, we are not some kind of a secluded sect. We are not some kind of a, uh, of a separated social club that separates ourselves from the world and that looks down upon other people and thinks ill of others, if you please. Nor are we of those that have the attitude that says if somebody from another church doesn't look just like I look or dress look just like I dress, that I am better than they are. Come on. I'm telling you that if you're a true apostolic, you're going to have a spirit of humility recognizing that you are who you are simply by the grace of God and that God is the one that brought you out and that God is the one that is taking you in and that you are only what you are and where you are because of the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. Amen. God said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and then will I forgive their sins and then will I heal their land. We need 
a fresh baptism of an attitude of humility in the apostolic church. We need a fresh baptism of a spirit and an attitude of submission. I said of submission, of submission. If you could condense all of the gospel message into one word, I believe that that one word would have to be the word submission. If you had to condense it down and put it all into one word, that one word would be submission. You'll never be saved unless you learn to submit to authority. And we've got to recognize that that is the correct attitude of humility that God wants us to have. You're not an apostolic if you are rebellious. You're not an apostolic if you rebel against parental authority. You are not an apostolic if you rebel against civil authority. You are not an apostolic if you rebel against spiritual authority. If you want to be a true apostolic, you have got to have an attitude and a spirit of humility, of submission. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Consistency is an apostolic attitude. I don't believe that the apostolics of the book of Acts were in and out and up and down. I believe they were consistent. I believe they lived for God daily. They lived for God day in and day out. Praise God. They were consistent in prayer. They were consistent in church attendance. They were consistent in witnessing. They lived a consistent life. Their, their uh, scale was not one that went way down and then way up. No, but it was a level scale. There was a consistency in their lives. They lived for God faithfully, daily, serving the Lord, breaking bread, praying together, going to the house of God. If you want to be a real, genuine, apostolic, then live for God consistently. Consistency consistently. Don't be in and out of the church. Don't be up and down. And I'll tell you the way that you can be consistent is to develop a prayer life. Get a hold of a relationship with God. And when you learn how to touch God every day of your life, you'll learn how to live for God consistently. You won't be in this revival and out two weeks later and then praying through every other weekend. But you'll live for God on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday. You'll live for God week in and week out. Every month and every year there will be a consistent walk with God. Amen. Amen. Consistency. Consistency is an apostolic attitude. Loyalty is an apostolic attitude. And we may delve into some of these attitudes a little more uh, as we go on into the week and other lessons. But loyalty is something that is, uh, that is, definitely, that is definitely needed in the attitude of men in our churches. And I'm preaching this morning to young men that need to develop an attitude of loyalty. 
You need to be loyal to God, first of all. And you need to be loyal to yourself. You need to be loyal to the church that you attend. You need to be loyal to your pastor. You need to be loyal when you get married. You need to be loyal to your wife. You need to be loyal to your children. You need to be loyal men of God. I said loyalty. It's an apostolic attitude. We don't need any Judases in the church of the living God. We don't need any Benedict Arnolds in the church of the living God. Come on, we need men that'll be true to God. That'll be true to the church. That'll be true to their pastor. Everybody say loyalty. Loyalty. Be loyal. Be loyal. Be loyal. Be loyal. Stand behind. Stand behind the Word of God. Stand behind the man of God. Amen. 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 I want to tell you something. Listen to me. I have I believe in parental authority and I believe that that we should submit ourselves to our parents. But there is there is a uh, an attitude of submission that you can maintain even in times of adverse circumstances such as if your parents stand against what is right if your own parents stand up against the man of God, if your own parents stand up against spiritual authority, at the same time that you maintain an attitude of submission to the authority of your parents, you also need to recognize that your submission, first of all, belongs to God. And you need to say, Mother and Father, I, I respect you and I will submit myself unto you, but I will never go against the Word of God. And I will never go against the man of God. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I love you. But if you're not going to stand behind the pastor, I'm going to stand behind him anyway. Hallelujah. And if the pastor has to correct you, don't you run to your parents for sympathy. I said, if your pastor has to correct you, why don't you be a man and take it like a man? You don't need sympathy from anybody. You don't need to go cry on mama's shoulder. You don't need to go cry on daddy's shoulder and try to get mama and daddy to stand up for you against the man of God. You need to find yourself a place of prayer where that you can bring yourself into submission and say, that's what I needed. And I thank God that I've got a pastor that's got enough backbone to stand up and tell it like it is. I thank God that I've got a pastor that loves me enough to correct me when I'm wrong. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. 
Self-discipline is an apostolic attitude. And the Lord willing, I'm going to deal with, on this, deal with this subject extensively in one of our lessons this week. We need to be self-disciplined. We need to learn self-discipline. Learn how to control ourselves. Amen. That's an apostolic attitude. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He said, if you're not willing to deny yourself, you're not worthy to be one of my disciples. Amen. Self-discipline is an apostolic attitude. Perseverance is an apostolic attitude. I want to tell you something. When the going gets tough, what's the rest of it? When the going gets tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Perseverance is an apostolic attitude. Apostolics are not pussyfoots. Apostolics are not a bunch of sissies. Apostolics are, are not panty waste. Do you hear me? I said apostolics are not panty waste. It takes some guts to live for God. It takes some backbone to stand up against the current and say, I'm going to serve God. I don't care whether what my peers do. I don't care what those around me do. I don't care what my brother does. It doesn't matter what my sister does. It doesn't matter what my parents do. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to make it. I'm going to serve the Lord. When the going gets tough, that's when the tough get going. Come on, men. I said, come on, men. Where are the men at? Where are the men at that aren't afraid of the hot desert sand? That aren't afraid of the sun beating down upon their brow? That aren't afraid of the blood and the sweat and the tears? Where are the men that will take the toil? Where are the men that will bear the pain? Where are the men that will stand up under all of the persecution and the pressures of life and say, I'm going on. I'm going to make it. I'm telling you this morning, young man, you can make it. Over all of the trash in this world, you can make it. Over all of the garbage, you can make it. Over all of the por pornography, you can make it. Over all of the filthy jokes, you can make it. Over all of the cussing, you can make it. Over all, over all. I am persuaded, the Apostle Paul said, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Ghost power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. 
My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sidewalking, small planning, smooth news, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, tinty giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by present tense, by faith, walk by patience, live by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions too, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be fought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, deceived, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of my enemy, negotiate at the table of the adversary, ponder at the pull of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, let up, or shut up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he won't have any problem recognizing me because I will not be discouraged and I refuse to quit. I am an apostolic. I am an apostolic. I am an apostolic. Are you ashamed to be apostolic? 
Praise God. Amen. Let's get to music. Hallelujah. I don't know what time those other classes are going to let out, but I'm through. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Come on up, Brother Johnson. Amen. We're getting ready for rally time. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amazing grace. Oh, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Hey, all right. 